You might remember, so we're in a series called, what did we call it? The Undivided Self. Um, you might remember a few weeks ago, um, I started with a quote by a guy named Dallas Willard that said, a disciple of Jesus today is someone who asks the question, what would Jesus do if he were me? What would Jesus do if he were you as a friend, as a neighbor, as a worker, as a citizen, as a all, as a brother, sister, whatever it is? Um, sometimes it can feel like we need to show up. There's different roles we play in different settings, but it can feel like you have to wear multiple hats to become a different person in different places. And so we thought it would be cool to try and see what the common thread is that we should be across all of those spheres of life. Uh, with the belief and assumption that the gospel of Jesus um, gives us the opportunity to live, like spoiler alert, an undivided life, that you can be you wherever you go and show up in the same way and every, essentially the same way in every relationship to live like Jesus would if he were you in the spaces that you find yourself in. So um, I mentioned uh, two weeks ago to a verse that I think is sort of the thesis uh, verse for, for the rest of this series, and I'll read it again right now. It's from Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 12. Therefore, this is Paul talking to the church in Colossae. Uh, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Who are you across all the areas of your life? Perhaps it's clothing ourselves in those things. In compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I had a conversation with somebody after uh, the service two weeks ago. And they said, I, I see thousands of people every week. Or not every week, but in a given year, I see thousands of people with the work that I do. And sometimes, who am I supposed to be to all those people? Um, I think that's a really good question. It was challenging. And so it brought me back to this, this verse to really be a center idea of what we're talking about over the next few weeks. Is that we would be people uh, that would clothe ourselves in these things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. As representatives of Jesus on earth, our clothes, the imprint of our lives, no matter what space that we enter, should communicate those things. Last week, um, Alec uh, talked about living an undivided life at home. And I love the phrase that you used, Alec, um, that it's about living life wholeheartedly. That's so good. Living life wholeheartedly. That's what we're going after in this series is that you wouldn't feel like you need to be 10 different people, but you can be you. It's exhausting to try and be 10 different people. I get the roles change, but who can you be that's the same across the board? That's what we're going after. So the next sphere of life that we're going to look at today, uh, exploring is becoming an undivided self with friends. So we're talking about friendship today. Let me tell you, on Friday night, um, I stumbled back into the old music library of contemporary Christian artist Michael W. Smith. Good, I'm glad you reacted that way. My wife went to bed around 10.30 or so. Um, I, however... Once I rediscovered that deep well, um, went to bed around 1 a.m. After two plus hours of listening to all of Michael W. Smith's old songs and bringing me literally right back to my childhood, it brought me back to the 90s, 
sweet nostalgia, all that stink. Um, perhaps the most nostalgic song, though, for me, you can name a lot of them, but you know what I'm going to say if you know him. Friends. I mean, that's the subject for today, right? Makes a lot of sense. Do you know that song? Oh, good. Perfect. So let me quiz you on the lyrics. Um, I'll start and you finish. Friends are friends forever. And a f- No, no, no. Stop. My part. That's my part. And a friend will not say never. Okay, it's all me. When it's time to let you go. In the fa- no, my, it's me. My turn. In the Father's hands we know. I should be an octave higher. That a lifetime's not too... That's my favorite part. Hold on. Can we just pause? You stole my moment. Um, okay, that, that like lifetime's not... That's so 90s ballad right there. So can you just give me my moment? <clears throat> Shh. That a lifetime's not too... You got to lift your head up too when you do it. That a lifetime's not too long. And then I think probably this. To live as friends. <sighs> Feels so good. Thank you, thank you. Thanks one person. I have thank you, thank you written in my notes because I thought you'd all clap, but you didn't. Um, we're taught, thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, stop it. You know, the don't, bring it on. Um, we're talking about friends today. Um, so <laughs> there's my weird way of getting into the subject. Um, how you are as a friend, how we are as a community of friends. Friends that feel like family, embodying Jesus in a way that is beautiful, authentic and real, missional and compelling. I want to take a look at two examples from biblical times. One is a group that's not really in the Bible, but that is around it. Uh, and one is a group of friends, uh, that, that group of friends was well-intended, um, but who lived out their lives trying to be a community of God, but in isolation, almost defriending the whole world in the desert. Um, the other is how the writer of a book in the Bible called Acts describes the early Christian church who shared a lot of the same like grit and zeal that this first group did, but they lived it out very differently. And uh, a, good, a good example of that will be a guy that we'll meet called Barnabas, in particular that can give us a good model of character for how to be an undivided Friend, no, undivided self among friends. So that's what we'll look at today uh, to become wholehearted people um, among friends. Sound good? I promise uh, no more a cappella singing from me. But I will give you this freedom if any of you wants to sing during the middle of my talk, you just go right ahead. If you want to stand up and sing that song back to me, that would make my life <laughs> if it felt appropriate. So let me pray, and then we'll talk about these desert people for a little bit. Uh, Jesus, thank you that we are friends, um, that this isn't just a professional gathering of people. It's not just a exchange of religious goods and services, but these are people um, who have caught your heart and who have come to love each other as friends. And so if, especially as people are maybe new today or looking for friends, um, we pray that this church will be an extension of you to them and that they will feel welcomed and loved and that they can be their true self. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 
This picture is Qumran. Everybody say Qumran. Very good. That might be the one I just took off of Google, but I took better pictures myself when we were there. But it's in Israel. It's in a place, it's right by the Dead Sea, um, where archaeologists, uh, thank goodness for Google spell check, because would not know how to spell that word, um, found uh, the, what they're, it's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. So you've probably maybe heard that term, right? Um, that they, after World War II, um, archaeologists got access to that part of Israel, um, and found from basically 1946 to 1956, there's been other discoveries of new scrolls since then, but that in 22 caves in a five-mile radius, they found thousands of copies of uh, manuscripts of the Old Testament, um, as well as documents of how this community, this desert community that I'll describe in a second here, of people lived in that area. So who was it that put these like scrolls in these caves? It was these people, and they, they had their own uh, community rule for the way that they wanted to live. They believed that they were the group that God had called to start this new covenant uh, community to enact change in the world. Similar to the idea that Jesus came to embody God to us and then give us the uh, invitation to partner with him to bring the good news of Jesus to the rest of the world. That will be the second group we'll talk about. But this group in Qumran, they spent all of their time um, copying, writing copies and studying these scrolls that we described, um, which included large, chunk, large chunks of the Old Testament and several books of commentary that they had of their own. There was a lot to admire about these people when you think about it. Um, their intentions were to serve God the best that they could. They wanted to bring the kingdom of God to earth. They took their faith and God so seriously that they had a, a very strict way of living in the desert as a committed group of people um, in order to see God's kingdom come to earth. And they did it in the desert where there isn't any water. And this is one of the most fascinating things to me. Um, they had to work to get the water to the spot to which they dwelled. Why they didn't just go up near where the springs were, I, I don't know actually. Some of you might know, but I don't. Um, but they, they lived at the foothills of this mountain range. And so in order to get water to where they were living, um, they had to find it. So they needed water to drink, of course, but also needed uh, water for their cleansing baths called mikvahs. I think I have a picture of that, don't I? Yeah. Um, so the places where they did their ritual cleansing uh, of themselves, of their sin, they would do it multiple times a day. Uh, our tradition of baptism traces itself back to this idea that you enter water and you come out clean. Um, except we do baptism as a group of Christians today, uh, once as adults because we believe that Jesus alone cleanses our sins. So we don't need to do a ritual every day. We can just thank God. We can thank God for his generosity of sending Jesus to be the one who cleanses us. So I did learn uh, that in order, while I, was, while I was visiting this site in Israel, that in order to get water to their dwelling place, they had to dig tunnels um, up from the, the well spring that would be up in the mountains, and they chiseled tunnels um, in order to get to where they were living. And, and you can see me, because I'm a curious little fella, um, I took a little crawl through one of those tunnels, so I actually want to show you that video right now. 
Oh, you've been watching it. Yes, there it is. So that hole was all chiseled out by like ancient chisels. Tick, 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 tick. Somebody said like Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, but like way longer. <laughs> like he was just through that little thing, right? Which is impressive in that movie alone. But this is for what I can assume either was or would feel like miles. They dug their way because of their zealous faith in God to want to get water so that they can survive and get water so that they can present themselves as clean to God. As a community, they devoted themselves to that hot, sweaty work. Which is honestly a little inspiring to me. I've already alluded a little bit to how they're we're off base a little bit in their mission. But still, it's, there's something really cool about the fact that they would take God so seriously that they would chisel through a mountain together in order to get the water needed to please God. So that's what they did. They chiseled their way. They saw themselves as the new covenant community in whom God's promises were coming true. We uh, actually read some of those promises in, in Deuteronomy and the Torah and the Old Testament. I'll read that for you now on what this life would look like. There's an interesting connection I'll make from here to Acts chapter 4 in a second. But Deuteronomy chapter 15, 4 says this. Uh, this is a promise from God to his people that now these people in Qumran are seeking to embody, that there will be no poor people among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you as a possession, as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all these commands I'm giving you today. So these friends in Qumran, this community of people who all individually volunteered to uh, give their resources so that nobody would go hungry. Everybody chisels. Everybody cleanses, everybody gets opportunity to pray, everybody writes, everybody works, everybody does, they're, they're living out this faith of theirs in the desert. But they were focused on kind of like a, a holy isolation, a defriending, a defriending of the world, essentially. Which I think is interesting. If you can see some of those similar trends that might happen with Christians today, when we, we might disagree or you might disagree or groups might disagree uh, with people about whatever, that sometimes the trend then is to isolate, is to distance, is to maybe go, well, we need to just stay away. Um, and I'm not sure where along the way um, church bought into that because that's not the way of Jesus at all. It's, it's kind of the opposite. God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus. We're called to embody something a little bit different. Even though they were so passionate, they loved the word of God, they elevated so highly, they sacrificed so much, this community in Qumran. But Defriending the world for the sake of God in that way does not seem to fit with the heart and mission that God wants for his people. The earlier 
Christians, um, the early church, did not all move out to the desert to separate themselves uh, from the world around them. In fact, they kind of broke that trend per the instructions of Jesus to stay in Jerusalem, the the busy city among the people. Uh, Let's read Acts chapter 4. These words might be familiar, but I love this description of how uh, Jesus' first followers like embodied what he wanted for the world. It said, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and, the, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. And there was no needy persons among them. That phrase, there's end of verse 34, there's no needy persons among them. That's, in, that's very intentional from Luke, uh, the writer of these words, to basically say this community of faith, Jesus' followers, is the answer to that Deuteronomy 15 promise. And yet they're living it out differently. They're not just talking about it. They're actually living it out for the better of the world around them. For from time to time, it says, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. I'm not an apostle, and I'm not about to tell you you need to start chucking money up at my feet. (laughs) But this is a group of people who had hearts of generosity for the widow, for the orphan, that had a passion, actually, for people to want to find their way back to God, to share this good news that Jesus has come. For anyone who has a broken and contrite spirit, Luke is letting us know that these first Christians in Jerusalem were doing something similar to that first group, the Qumran group, but significantly different. They trusted that God, through Jesus, had established this new covenant, this new way, um, that Jesus was the one that God sent to the world out of love for the world. So do we need to defriend the world in order to become a Christian? There may be people in your life that maybe you need to uh, create some space for. If there's addictions in your life that you want to break or if there's patterns of abuse or things that for your a certain kind of health, you, you need that. But we need to be careful that as Christians, we're not called to create a Qumran community. We're not called to just isolate ourselves. We are actually called to be good news to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth to embody this clothing ourselves and compassion and patience and the other three words that were there. So they took their faith seriously and and friendship to the city, not isolation in the desert. So while this Qumran community uh, isolated themselves and did good things like writing down the word of God and memorizing the words. I'm thankful they did that, creating creeds and doctrines about God. The followers of Jesus lived as a unified community among a society actually doing what Jesus did and taught by displaying 
an embodied flesh and blood example to each other in the world. They saw what Jesus did, and they tried to do that. And Jesus did not isolate himself from the world. He associated with all types across the spectrum and loved them right where they were at. He invited them into a new life. He invited them to something that all of us can say we are looking for. But this community of friends actually lived a way of serving and giving generosity to the needs of the community from a place of authentic joy. Not just because they felt guilty about it, but because, like Jesus said, springs of living water uh, would flow from within them. Which brings us to our friend named Barnabas. The next two verses after in Acts chapter 4, let me read those for you, uh, verse 36 and 37. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Interesting. Which means son of encouragement. So this person sold a field he owned. He was one of those people that actually sold something he had and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. His real name is not actually Barnabas. Isn't that interesting? Did you pick that up? The apostles called him Barnabas. It was a nickname. It wasn't a birth name. It was literally a name he earned by the way he lived. The nickname that they chose for him to call him son of encouragement. Apparently this guy named who's actually named Joseph, had a reputation of generosity and encouragement that his friends gave him the nickname and they wrote it down in the Bible. (laughs) That's cool. Let me take a sharp turn. Question on the screen. If If your friends were to give you a nickname based on how you live, what would it be? Now, you can answer that question in two different ways. Um, The first is fun. Sarcastically, what would they name you? Um, Let's get that one out of the way. His friends called him Jordan. He was the prince of awkward jokes. Um, That would be me, maybe. It's fun to imagine what sarcastic names your friends would give you, unless they already have, (laughs) and you just don't know about it. Um, But in, in sincerity, as you find yourself being a friend to all people, um would you not hope that their nickname for you would be something like son of encouragement? There's Barnabas. I love that dude. He always lifts everybody up. And I know what he's been through too. It's not that life is easy for him. He's actually choosing that encouragement. And for some reason, he seems like he's like, he has every reason to be mad. He has every reason to just be hurt or depressed, but for some reason, like, they, they call him son of encouragement, and yeah, that's totally, like, who he is. Barnabas must have lived an undivided life as he showed up the same way to all people. Let me give you one other example of the way that he did this. Um, you hear the name Paul, the Apostle Paul, come up uh, sometimes up here. Um, he is a person who initially was 
persecuting Christians. Um, he was a re- religious Jewish leader, he was a Pharisee, um, who did not believe in this message of Jesus. Um, and in fact, was present for the first martyrdom, the first killing of a, a Christian. Uh, he, he gave his thumbs up. He gave his stamp of approval. Um, and then from that, of Stephen uh, in Acts chapter 8, um, then from there, he, uh, no, 6, um, a scattering of Christians happened in that part of the world after that pers- first persecution. So Christians all over the place. There's a lot of fear, perhaps, um, a lot of confusion about how to handle this kind of a scattering of people, and Paul is largely responsible for that. So he had a moment, though, um, where, where God got his attention, and he had a complete 180 shift. Um, the Bible describes some pretty incredible things about how this guy who used to be named Saul became Paul, became a follower of Jesus, and actually he wrote three-quarters of the New Testament, the books in the New Testament. He became a Christian. Something happened in this dude's life uh, in order for him to have a complete 180. But if you can imagine, you are the people, the other disciples, the apostles, that maybe saw Paul go, yeah, it's okay, stone Stephen. Um, And now this Paul guy has a change of heart. Uh, They were having a hard time believing him. They were having a hard time that he actually did change. Which I think is so interesting to read. Into Acts chapter 9, uh, it says this. When he, so when Paul, came to Jerusalem, he's had this life change. He tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. Not believing that he was really a disciple. It's like, no, he's got a plan. I saw what this guy's capable of. He's, he's, he's trying to kill us too. But he had... A authentic, real life change. And he was different. So Paul really needed a friend to vouch for him. He needed someone who the rest of the group uh, trusted as being a kind and generous person. Verse 27, but Barnabas. So he wasn't welcome in. But. Barnabas, they don't even qualify it anymore, but son of encouragement, took him in, brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. He's like risking his reputation, actually. Whoa, that's totally what he's doing. Whoa. Not that the Christians would have stoned, the early ones <laughs> would have stoned him there, but like that's, he's risking his reputation. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. You see how Barnabas is kind of like a footnote there, but he's actually the key. Three quarters of the New Testament may not have been written were it not for a guy named Barnabas, choosing to be a good friend, choosing to extend his generosity and encouragement even to someone who was, to them, in their context, a terrorist. 
That's what he was. <laughs> and he risks his reputation. He said, no, that this dude, he means it. God, is, God has done something in his life. We need to love him. So the two of them became good friends, and they brought the good news of Jesus all over the place. Paul started a bunch of churches, including one of my favorite scenes that I won't spend any time talking about uh, in Antioch, where the disciples were first called Christians in a beautifully diverse group of leaders that are described in Acts 11 and 13. Wow. One guy who chose to be a good friend. We have nothing in the Bible that says Barnabas was more talented or skilled or educated than others. We're simply told that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was encouraging, he was generous, and he was willing to befriend people with bad reputations. How can we show up like that? I I mean, doesn't that challenge you? Like, how how am I not doing that? How could I do that more? Where am I already doing it where I can celebrate and continue in it? Did any of you guys, I'm sure you did, but did any of you see the thing that happened uh, with the the car that was left at two guys brewing this this past week? Um, You can show that picture. Their license plate is blurred out, um, which is good. But um, if you don't know, uh, this car was left in... Their parking lots, uh, maybe a week and a half ago or so, um, and they, the owners just didn't know who it belonged to. So they were, uh, Tom and Amy, whoever else, was looking for who it, this happens sometimes at restaurants, like cars get left. And so I even got a message like, hey, do you know who this is? I'm like, sorry, I don't. So they're looking all over, not, not to punish this person, but just like, whose car is this? Literally, we just want to know. Um, can't stay there forever. Um, but what was interesting is eventually they found out that uh, it would belong to a young guy, um, and the car had issues that apparently must have stalled the car in that parking spot that he couldn't afford to fix. Ooh, have you been on that side of these things? How embarrassing it is when you know something is wrong, it's affecting other people, and you don't know what to do about it. I can empathize big time with that. That's not somebody just being lazy and leaving their car there. There's a reason. I think our friends at Two Guys know that too. So eventually they found out the story um, and put out a GoFundMe to see if we can get the, they can get the um, bills for this guy paid for. $2,000 worth of whatever. I didn't even know what it was. Um, but they surpassed that uh, through 5 and $10 donations on their, go, on their GoFundMe. I don't know how many people, I think they said maybe like 50 or something like that, but a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of friends rallying around one person who's going through a hard time. That's really cool. I also got a call from Amy before they kind of went public with that, that whole thing. GRD did a th- like on their website, like, hey, this cool thing happened. But um, they said any donations above that $2,000 that the, the guy needed for the car was going to go to Wyoming Harbor Church and the attic after school. They listed um, 
that they have a, a cool relationship and partnership with this little church down the road. That's really cool. Neighbors rallying and friends rallying to help a kid to pay for uh, car fixes that he couldn't afford. And we get mentioned in that story. Um, I got to be honest, it doesn't surprise me though. It's a very, that's a very Barnabasy story. <laughs> but I want to end my talk by just saying that I'm really proud of you guys. Um, I'll just give this as one example, but I could name hand to hand. I could name you being just a great neighbor um, and friend. I could name the times that at times I find myself and you helping either each other or somebody else that has a need. Um, This is a group of very Barnabas-minded people that understand the key to the world changing is just good friends. And this church is built on friendships, not just friendships of isolation, but friendships with a shared mission. Uh, Wherever you find yourselves to help people, wherever they find themselves, to find their way back to God. And no, for real, no, on days like this when it's like 50-50, should we cancel the service? Should we not? It's like, it's it's always a hard, it's a hard decision, honestly. Um, Because, you know, it just is lots of things to think about. And there is definitely no shade at all to churches that did cancel or people that stayed home today uh, from the service. God's, Jesus' church is bigger than one service on a Sunday. (laughs) And the snow is just doing what the snow was created to do, which is annoy us. (laughs) Um, But for those of you here today, and again, I'm not saying this to make anybody else feel like doo-doo. Um, you dug yourself out of something. It might not have been through a mountain, but I know it was for sure snow. And I know that maybe you felt like staying home. But you were a really good friend for showing up today. And I think that is a sample of what I believe to be true about you that you are a reliable friend who is going to meet people right where they're at, that you are all kind of sons and daughters of encouragement. So I'm just going to affirm you big time in that right now and tell you to keep doing that. Not so that the name of our church gets in a GRD (laughs) press thing. That's cool, but because you get it, you know, Dang it, I almost want to sing that Michael W. Smith song now. It feels right. <laughs> I told you I wouldn't, though. So keep it up. Keep having a big heart. I would say this. T- there's other things we're going to talk about, but like the core common denominator to the spaces that we'll explore next week and beyond it, and the last week is like, be a good friend. Be a Barnabas. Keep having a ton of heart. Even if you feel like the situation's dicey or whatever, like it for sure was for Barnabas. He brought a terrorist into their religious meeting. 
and advocated for him. That he was no longer that person. So let that heart lead you forward and continue being a caring friend. I want to give you three, like Alex said last week, like impossible questions <laughs> uh, to carry with you. Um, but if you, if you really want to take this seriously this week, here's some good questions that you can uh, ask a close friend if you want to. Or ask the person that you see standing in front of the mirror. If I had a nickname that described me as a friend, what would it be? Do I act differently in our friendship than I do in other parts of life? I would be interested to know that about myself. Because for me, a goal of my life is I just don't want to be a hypocrite. I just want to be the same person. I just want to be me. And I think that's all Jesus really wants from us anyways. So how am I me and who Jesus wants me to be? But how am I me in other spaces? And as a friend... How can I clothe myself with even more compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? I already affirmed this group because I think everything, the the lifestyle you've chosen to live and the way you're living out your faith is beautiful. Do it even more. Try to be an even better friend. God's writing a story and you get to step into it, so say yes to it. This week. Let's pray. Hmm. What love, what does that say? Um, what, I'm going to botch the reference, but what great love is it that, that you would lay your life down for your friends? And that is what you did, Jesus. You chose to come to this place to discomfort yourself greatly in order to befriend humanity back to our loving God. Thank you for stories like we got to hear about, about or participate in, about helping this dude get his car fixed. Um, there's a lot of bad happening in the world, but human beings are pretty awesome. If, if we pull out the good and we believe that you want us to do that in each other too. So I, I pray that this group of people may be known as like the best friends. That when they walk into a room, people would say, there they are, yes. I know things are going to be cool because they're here and they're going to make people feel loved and valued and cherished, befriended. May we be that those type of people. Amen.